Hello and welcome. This is Pastor Terry, and I'd like to welcome you to my Bible study podcast. This daily podcast is a place where we take the teachings of Scripture seriously, but ourselves, not so much. Join us as we dive into the sacred word of the Bible, and each time we read, we pray, we change the world. Welcome to Pastor Terry's Bible Study Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. It is May 1st, Monday, May the 1st, new month. Crazy, right? Um, Yeah, so welcome to new week, new month. And um, so this week, we, uh, so here's a, here's a programming note. This week will be the last week uh, for a few months um, that I'll be on um, video on live. Um, starting next week, I'm going to go to audio uh, podcast only. So uh, if you're on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you're listening to the podcast, it's not going to really affect you at all. Uh, if you're used to being online live, it will affect you a little bit because I won't be on. <laughs> so the audio will be available um, uh, generally by eight o'clock, um, depending on what this, my schedule looks like moving forward. But um, it's, my schedule is going to get a little crazy here starting next week. So it's just going to be uh, easier to uh, drop the video piece and just go to um, audio. So um, if you um, hopefully you know how to access the podcast. Um, but if you don't, um, email me um, or give me a call and I can help you out with that. Uh, but it's pretty easy. It's on, uh, if you just go to Apple Music or again, Spotify or Google Play or wherever you get your podcast or Anchor, just go to the Anchor. Um, well, which uh, Spotify actually bought out Anchor. So, uh, but anyway, if you go to the Anchor, it's still, it'll still redirect you to the Spotify website. And if you just search for Bible, uh, Pastor Terry's Bible Study Podcast, it should pop up and you can find it. And usually those uh, new pod, those new episodes, um, are available within um, within an hour of when I upload them. And so so if I upload them at 7.30, 8 o'clock, um, certainly by 9 o'clock, you'll have it. So uh, usually, it's usually pretty quick, honestly. Usually it's within 15, 15 minutes they're available. So, um, But yeah, just want to let you know that. So this will be the last week. Uh, <laughs> you'll see this grill <laughs> for a while in the morning. Um, but we'll be, we'll be together this week and then next week it'll, uh, the video will drop off and we'll just do audio. So, um, but thanks. Thanks for being flexible. Thanks for sticking with it. Um, it's just uh, going to make life a lot easier and more manageable. And it's about the only way we can keep it going is if we, if we go that route. So, um, yeah. So welcome everybody. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 16 today, last week, a uh, short week for me last week on the podcast, because I was, uh, as many of you know, I was with the, our family ministry team uh, in Hotlanta, in Atlanta. Uh, it wasn't hot at all, actually. It was rainy <laughs> last week in Atlanta. All week, that whole every day we were there was pretty rainy. Um, rainy and cool, probably in the upper 50s, 60s. Um, but great, great conference. Good to be with the team. Um, uh, we took uh, our children's pastor, Jeannie, Alex, the student pastor. 
and two interns, uh, Diego Cruz and Elisa, who's our year-long intern. And so, yeah, it was good. Good time. Um, a lot of interesting uh, insight into uh, what's happening in church world and uh, kind of the larger uh, trends that uh, are being uh, observed uh, in the culture. One of those is just for uh, just for your own, you know, tidbit. Um, uh, since January, churches are showing uh, significantly increased attendance. Generally, the people, the churches that were kind of growing and doing well before, they're starting to see people come back since January, uh, which is a really great, great sign. We see that at Bayside. I mean, um, our second service yesterday was, you know, really, really strong attendance. Um, but the uh, so people are starting to come back um now some people have just dropped off but uh, generally people are really really starting to uh get back to the uh getting getting back to worship and new people are coming honestly a lot of new people who um hadn't been hadn't made church attendance or church participation a priority um uh, they're coming back um the other side of that though is that volunteers are not now the volunteer so while the attendance and people are coming back, volunteers are not. Now that doesn't mean that the volunteers are not there; they are coming back, but they're not volunteering at the same level as they did before. Um, so volunteers that maybe a volunteer who maybe pre-COVID uh, volunteered every Sunday in say children's ministry. Uh, since they've come back, they've reduced that down significantly. Uh, so then now I'll, I'll volunteer once a quarter or maybe once a month. Um, and so while uh, while church participation is is on the increase pretty significantly, uh, there's a big gap between that and the, the volunteers. And so so that creates a challenge naturally because you have people in the building, you have people worshiping, people expecting a certain level of children's ministry, a certain level of student ministry, a certain level of uh, whatever, uh, and yet the volunteers are not at the same, the, the volunteer uh, base is not as strong as it was, and so there's a gap there. Uh, so church leaders are thinking of strategies and ideas and uh, ways to kind of accommodate and address that, uh, that gap, um, but thank you for volunteering. Those of you that volunteer, listen to the podcast, thank you for volunteering. You know, some of it may be a healthy recalibration. It could be that some folks just needed to recalibrate the amount of time they were volunteering. Um, but, you know, some people weren't doing jack before and ain't doing jack now. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, so, um, yeah. So, uh, but thank you guys for, uh, for that. So it's interesting, just tidbit of, um, of information. Attendance is definitely uh, back on the increase. Um, now, I don't, now, I can't say that it's a net gain. In terms of like, or do we have a net gain of people coming back to church now relative to post COVID? I don't know that. I would, I would, I would suspect on total probably not, not yet. Uh, but at least it's trending back from where it was during COVID, which was essentially zero. <laughs> so, um, but it is, it is, it is moving. It is coming back rapidly. So that's great, great news. So it's awesome. So thanks, thanks, thanks for your volunteering. All right, let's dive into it. Mark chapter 16. Now, Mark chapter 16, if you saw it on the Facebook page, you saw, and even if you saw the uh, podcast, uh, kind of brought up an interesting issue because chapter 16 of Mark brings up an issue, depending on which translation of the Bible you read. I'm reading the, uh, this is the NIV that I'm 
uh, reading, and you'll notice in my in my Bible, I don't know about in yours, but after verse eight, starting in verse nine, uh, so verses nine through twenty are in italicis. They're italicized, right? So verses one through eight, regular font, consistent with the rest of the text, but beginning in verse nine, there's a little parenthetical note there, and the rest of the chapter is in uh, ital is italicized. And um, so we'll talk about that, verses 9 through 20. It brings up an interesting question relative to biblical, uh, the authenticity of manuscripts. And honestly, let's just talk about what do you do with that? How do you handle it? Um, it's a reality, so what do you do with it? All right, let's do it. Uh, you know what we do? We read, we pray, we change the world. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early in the, on the first day of the week, Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? They're like, how are we going to get to him? It's, it's, there's, a, there's a stone in front of the tomb. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so that by that definition, we know that it's not Jesus speaking, because he says, you're looking for Jesus. So presumably, that's, he's not him, right? He's an angel. Uh, you're looking for Jesus, of Naz uh, Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Hmm. This kind of adds a little more commentary, a little more color to some of the other uh, accounts of the resurrection. Uh, we, um, we know that, well, first of all, uh, Mark tells us uh, in particular which three ladies were there. We knew Mary Magdalene, um, but in some of the translations, it's just, it says Mary and the women were there, blah, blah. Uh, but this says uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices. So, here we have uh, specific names mentioned of who actually were the three women who went to the tomb. Um, and then uh, we also a little bit more insight on their response as they left the tomb, right? Trembling and bewildered, uh, which is very similar to, I think, uh, Matthew's account, which said they were... Uh, afraid over afraid yet overjoyed <laughs> and he was like trembling and bewildered so uh they were they were shook <laughs> i mean but to put it to sum it up they were shook they were like man what um you know they just seen something supernatural and they went out and fled from the tomb uh, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid um so yeah and then obviously didn't say anyone until they got to the disciples they just ran ran to the disciples and didn't say a word until they got to them all right, so then that, that's the end of chapter uh, verse 8. That's the end of verse 8. And so you notice, like in my Bible, in mine, there's a line there, and then there's a, 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 a parenthetical note that says, the earliest manuscripts 
and some other and other ancient witnesses do not have verses nine through twenty. Okay, so what? So first of all, a shout out to the uh, the editors of the New International Version, and maybe yours has the same thing, for telling us the truth, being honest, saying, "Look, here's the deal: the earliest translations of the Bible, the or the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, do not include verses nine through twenty. Now, here's here's the thing. Now, I don't know wh- how you were how you were raised. Um, what complicates this is the prevalence of the King James Version. Okay, the King James Version, uh, without a doubt, the most influential English text uh, in the world. I mean, the the English uh, translation of the new the King James Version of the Bible, the English translation of the Bible. Uh, specifically the, the King James Version, without a doubt, the most influential uh, book in the world. Um, at the time that the King James Version was translated into English, uh, there weren't as many manuscripts accessible to those translators as there were after the King James Version was translated. Okay, so the way biblical translation works is um, there are fragments. Most of the ancient transcripts of the, or the ancient manuscripts of the New Testament are in fragments, thousands, tens, ten thousand New Testament fragments. A lot, <laughs> a lot of fragments. Um, but that same number of fragments were not available when the King James version was translated in the 1500s. Uh, so they based it on the best reliable tra- uh, manuscripts at the time, uh, which did include verses 9 through 20. But as archaeologists uh, and others be- continued to discover new manuscripts, they weren't new manuscripts, they were, <laughs> they were newly discovered ancient manuscripts, if that makes sense. They weren't new, they weren't new manuscripts, they were actually very, very old manuscripts. Uh, that were discovered, and as they discovered more and more of those ancient manuscripts, that is, manuscripts that were um, from that dated cl- very close to the um, original time of writing. Which, in the case of Mark, uh, I don't know for sure, but I, I'd have to look it up. But I, the Mark is probably written. You can probably Google it while I'm talking. But uh, Mark was probably written in you know around 70 A.D., somewhere around there, maybe 56 between 50 and 70 A.D. Um, and so the so after the King James version of the Bible was was translated, these these ancient manuscripts were discovered. And when they and the way biblical uh, the way you see when you have a a, a multitude of manuscripts, um, you have to choose some criteria by which you weight the re, the authenticity of them. And one of the biggest uh, one of the way New Testament scholars weight so say you have two two manuscripts. Um, and they both have Mark chapter 16 on them. Um, which one should you give more credence to? Say they have a say they have a slight discrepancy. Maybe say one includes verses nine through twenty and one doesn't. How do you how do you determine which one to go with? Well, you go with the one that's dated the oldest, <laughs> just uh, because the 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 assumption is that the the oldest one, the one that was closest to the historical events. Is probably the most reliable. That's not always true, but that's the weight. The weight of evidence goes leans towards the oldest. Um, there are other criteria in terms of like uh, not only how old it, a manuscript is, but also how re- how uh, who who wrote it. 
the consistency of the content. Is the content consistent with other things that are taught in the New Testament, consistent with other manuscripts from that uh, uh, claim to record the same um, material? So is there a consistency there? Um, so all that to say, the, when the if the, the like the King James version probably would not maybe well maybe a newer translation would, or a newer edition of it would, but an ancient King James version would not even italicize this portion it and so um what the what the editors are trying to show us by by having it italicized and this this parenthetical note is just saying hey we, we have ancient manuscripts that that are from the earliest times of uh that we have in our possession the earliest manuscripts we have and those earliest manuscripts don't have verses 9 through 20. now you can do that with you do do with that as you will but you just need to know that um and so, so what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of options. One, that it could be that um, some of those earliest manuscripts lost nine through twenty. That maybe they it was there originally, but it was lost, or um, um, maybe it maybe it isn't. Maybe it's a, a something that has been added to later manuscripts. Um, and so, who knows? Um, the way I approach this is, especially these kinds of portions of Scripture, and there's not there's very, very few, um, this is probably the most significant. Uh, one is, most of what you're going to find in verses 9 through 20 is absolutely found somewhere else in the New Testament. <laughs> so it's a non-issue. In terms of how it affects your faith uh, and the living out of your faith, um, it's basically almost word for word consistent with a ton of other things uh or other other uh gospel writers um and so let's read it together and i'll show you some of the things that are that we're talking about so verse nine when jesus rose early on the first day of the week he appeared first to mary magdalene out of whom he had driven seven demons that's recorded elsewhere she went and told uh she went and told those who had been with him and and who were mourning and weeping when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. That's also reported elsewhere. Afterward, Jesus appeared uh, in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. They returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe him. Them that they did not believe them either. Well, that could very well be the account of the uh, Jesus appearing to the on the road to Emmaus, um, which um, was. Recorded in the Gospel of Luke, so no no new material there per se. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating and rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Uh, also, nothing new. He said to them, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation." Matthew twenty eight. Nothing new there. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink. And, they, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people, and they will get well. Now, that portion, most of that we find in other places. Um, in my name, they will drive out demons. Yes, Jesus said that. <laughs> They will speak in new tongues. That's, that's also in the, in the book of Acts. 
they will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. That is not, that is not, there's no parallel to, of that in any of the other uh, gospels, um, at least direct that I, that I'm aware of, certainly not in the resurrection accounts. Now, does that mean it's not, it's not a part of the original text? Not necessarily, but, um, but the things that are different that are not found in other places, you have to at least pause. Um, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. That's also, uh, Jesus said that, and so did uh, in the book of James. Uh, call the, have the elder, if any, is there any sick among you? Have the elders uh, anoint the sick um, and pray, and the Lord will heal them, and he will raise them up. So that's, um, so there's just a few things there. So all that to say, by and large, it, it's consistent and verifiable in other places, and it's consistent with the teaching of Scripture in other places, so it's nothing revolutionary. Um, <laughs> for, those <laughs> for those churches who've made a... Now, here's the thing. In my opinion, you don't want to build your entire theology over something that's in a, in only in italicis. I would not build my entire theology on something that is, that is only found in italics. I would if I'm going to build my faith, I'm going to build it on something that's consistent and is is you know clearly taught in Scripture throughout. And there's a lot of that. So God loved them, but churches that build their entire theology and worship experience around uh, holding snakes and drinking poison, to me, not only is that incredibly foolish in putting the Lord to the test, but it theologically it's incredibly flimsy. But here's the thing. Most of those churches that do that kind of stuff, they also are King James-only churches, okay? And if you've ever heard that phrase around Christian uh, circles, King James-only, it's, it's, this, it's this misguided theology that tries to assert that the King James, King James Bible is the most uh, reliable Bible. That's not true. Anyone who says that is saying that out of, an ig as out of an ignorance to how the Bible is translated. The Bible is translated based on manuscripts. And the King James Version, just like every reliable version since, the NIV, the NSB, the ESV, the, well, it, all of them. There's a, there's a bazillion of them. The bet, all of those reliable uh, uh Trustworthy translations are translated the same way. They're not translated from the King James Version. They're not translated from another English version. They're not translated from um, a Greek, from, from any other uh, later translation. They are translated from the manuscripts. And they are translated from the most reliable manuscripts. So... Um, people, you're going to hear that. You've probably already heard that. And, you've, and if you live in, run in the Christian world very long, you're going to run into people who are like, who think that the King James Bible is the only reliable Bible. And that's, it's flat out wrong. Anyone who understands biblical translation knows that that's just not true. That there are, sorry, there are better translations out than the King James Version. Uh, partly because uh, of the changing of language. the What words meant in the 1500s when the King James Version was translated don't mean the same thing today. 
And so the modification of the way things are translated in the modern context, you have to, or you're going to misinterpret what it really means. Um, and so anyway, I didn't finish reading the whole chapter. So let's, uh, let's read, uh, verse 19. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he, and, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. So all of that consistent, all of that consistent with the Bible, with the other uh, translations. Uh, New Living Translation is a great translation. Um, so yeah, so all that to say, just so you understand that, uh, you find another piece of that. When we've talked about it in John, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery is another uh, a piece of, a New Testament uh, teaching that um, just kind of was uh, not in every manuscript, and the editors of later translations, like the New New International Version, the New Living Translation, and others, uh, indicate that. Um, so, if you go over and look at the the front of uh, before you get into John chapter eight, um, it'll give you a note that says something about uh, that uh, that story. So in John chapter 8, it says, The earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7, 53 through 8, 11. A few manuscripts include these verses, wholly or in part, after John 7, 36. So no one's trying to deceive anyone. Um, they're just saying, honestly, this is, this is, what, this is what the uh, manuscript study has shown us. And again, you just have to, you have to look at the content and... Um, and see how it, how consistent it is, and where it diverge, it, where there's a divergence or something new that it teaches. Uh, none of this material that is, you know, questionable, is upends the Christian faith. It just is these little subtle, small nuances of teaching. And before you stake your entire theology on it, you just want to think it through, and uh, and make sure that. You know, it's consistent with the teachings of Scripture in other places. Um, so, yeah. So I hope that helps a little bit. Um, you know, people who see these things, they, you know, they freak out about it and like, oh, my goodness, it, it undermines the reliability of Scripture. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's just being honest. I mean, the Bible didn't float down from the sky, you know, with like angel wings. It was written by human beings, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they were... They were the original uh, autographs, that's what you call them, the original, manu the original original manuscript, like the one Mark actually wrote. Um, those were taken and translated over and over and co really copied, not translated, copied over and over and over, and that's the manuscripts. And, um, and the Bible, I had this conversation with someone at church yesterday. The new, do your study, guys, and, and those of you that are on here, you're, you're, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you'll run into people who question the authenticity of the Bible. But anyone who honestly looks at the, uh, the ancient literature of the new, that, that forms the New Testament, it's beyond debate the reliability of the New Testament. Now, you may not agree with what it teaches. You may not choose to base your life on the teachings of Jesus, but to, to suggest that what we have in the New Testament is not accurate to what was originally written is a ridiculous assertion. It's foolish. You, what all, anyone who says, well, you know that New Testament has been changed many, many times. What that tells you guys, if anyone tells you that, what, what they're saying is, I have actually never really studied it. 
<laughs> when someone says, you know, the New Testament, it's been rewritten and changed and modified many times uh, throughout history. What they're saying, like, I, that's what's coming out of their mouth. But what they're actually saying is, and I have never actually spent any time studying it myself. Because if they do spend any time studying the ancient manuscripts of the New Testament and how this, how we get our New Testament, they'll know for sure. Even if they don't believe in Jesus, they'll believe that the New Testament is reliable. It's the most, it's most reliable ancient, ancient document we have. Not even close. You could, you could reassemble the entire New Testament minus maybe two or three verses. You could reassemble. This is how prevalent it was and how well-known it was within the first two or three centuries after Jesus lived. This is how prevalent it was. You could re, uh, you could, you could re, um, you could create, recreate. Thank you. Thank you. You could recreate the New Testament without any manuscripts, just solely on the basis of the early church fathers, the people who wrote early in the, uh, the early writers of the New Testament, or uh, writers in the church, uh, the first two or three centuries, because of their, uh, just from the quotations, how often they quoted the New Testament. So you could just take their quotes and you could recreate the New Testament because it was so prevalent and so well known. Um, so, um, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of confidence that the, uh, even more confidence that what you have in your hands in the New Testament, in the Bible, the whole Bible, but certainly as we, as it relates specifically today to the New Testament, uh, you have a, an, ex an incredibly accurate <laughs> translation or translation of the original manuscripts. And you can, uh, you can be confident, confident in that. And when there are even the slightest questions, modern editors, modern, modern translators, let us know that uh, by putting parenthetical notes or italicizing sections so that we know clearly this one is a little different. And those are uh, very few and far between. So, all right, guys, thanks for being on today. This is kind of a New Testament studies lesson, <laughs> more, than a, more than a daily Bible study. But, you know, this is, this is valuable. It's interesting because, I, like I said, I just had this conversation with someone in the lobby yesterday whose son was asking questions and really just trying to throw bombs, you know, interpretation bombs uh, at, the, uh, at the reliability of the New Testament. And so we were just having this conversation in the lobby yesterday. So hope this is helpful for you uh, and uh, encourages your faith. Thank you for spending time with us today. Hey, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your blessing. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your peace. Pray you bless my friends today. May you encourage them and strengthen them. Help them to have a good day today. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible translators and scholars and those who pass on the word of God to us uh, using their skill and their prayer and their insight, their study. We are appreciative to that, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Pray your blessing upon each and every one of my friends today. May we have a, a week where we walk in your steps, bringing glory and honor to you. Thank you, Lord, for all your goodness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, my friends. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We'll be back at it tomorrow with Luke chapter 24. Hope to see you then. Have a fantastic day. Thanks for liking, subscribing, commenting. Really appreciate all of that. Uh, uh, giving a shout out for the podcast. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If this episode has been an encouragement to you, take a minute to subscribe or comment or share it with your friends. 
You can find me, Pastor Terry, and Bayside Church on all social media platforms. You can find Bayside at Bayside Church SH. Until next time, remember, God's word is true. Everything else is merely commentary. God bless you. We'll see you next time.